Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our podcast, Critical Conversations. My name is Kira, and I'll be your host today. Today, we are delighted to welcome Aoife de Bruyne. So Aoife is an assistant professor in health systems in the School of Nursing, Midwifery and Health Systems in University College Dublin. So thanks very much for joining us today, Aoife. Just a little bit of a background. Legislation such as patient safety strategy from 2019 to 2024 involves nurturing a culture of patient safety, which places an emphasis on a culture of transparency and organisation learning is key. I guess from a clinical perspective, we want the best for our patients in terms of the delivery of high quality care, but we must improve psychological safety in healthcare. And really psychological safety allows healthcare professionals to speak up and take action if they feel that something isn't right. But staff must feel safe to do this, I guess, without repercussions. So we're going to have a chat today with Aoife about psychological safety and safety in general. Thanks very much, Aoife. I might just start off by asking you to explain a little bit to us about your background and your career to date. Very much for the invite. Um, So I did my bachelor's degree in psychology in Trinity and then went on to do my PhD at UCD, UCC even, and across UCD as well. It was kind of a joint PhD working in the Centre for Health and Diet Research. Okay. And then after that, I spent some time at Newcastle in the UK. Um, I worked on a medical decision-making study and that was looking at um, factors that influence clinicians' decision-making about the offer of thrombolysis for stroke, trying to, I suppose, unpack what happens in clinicians' heads when they're trying to weigh up the different factors that contribute to their decisions. So in that role, I suppose I also got experience around patient and public involvement in research, co-design research, and barriers on patients providing feedback on safety when they feel unsafe. So that kind of gave me my interest in, in, I suppose, health services and care delivery research and also with a focus on safety. So in 2016, I came back to work in UCD with Professor Eilish McAuliffe um, and she leads our UCD IRIS Centre in the School of Nursing at UCD. And we were working on a project looking at developing team-based leadership and collective leadership skills with a view to promoting safety culture. So that's kind of been a major focus of our research in the centre in terms of team-based intervention try and improve how we deliver care, how we collaborate, how we communicate in healthcare teams, and how we can share those leadership responsibilities and all have a role to play in how we deliver high quality and safe care. So really since then, lots of my research has been focused on issues related to quality and safety. Okay, very good. Great. That term psychological safety, I've heard a lot about it uh, definitely mm-hmm. over the last few um, couple of years. What does it actually mean, Aoife, and how does it tie in with patient safety? Absolutely. I mean, I suppose it got a lot of attention when Google focused in on it quite a bit in what they called their project Aristotle. And they were trying to find out what were the key factors that promoted effective teams in Google. So it got a lot of attention, I suppose, outside of healthcare there. And then since then, Amy Edmondson has done a lot of work around psychological safety, especially in healthcare settings. So you kind of you give a nice introduction to Akira earlier, but psychological safety is a really important, I suppose, concept or idea in any team working situation, mm. but particularly in healthcare, because it is about how safe Uh, team members feel and being vulnerable with each other, taking these kind of interpersonal risks, speaking up when they may feel uncomfortable doing so, but feel compelled to do so for patient safety or for the good of patient care. So obviously this kind of uh, characteristic of a team and of an individual, someone who feels safe speaking up is really important, especially in such big multidisciplinary teams as we have in modern day healthcare, where it's really much a team sport and We need to really leverage the expertise and the experience of various disciplines on those teams. And we can do that by creating that atmosphere of psychological safety where people feel safe and comfortable in contributing their opinion, um, highlighting when they think something has happened that shouldn't have happened, 
or speaking up to challenge a behavior that maybe isn't shouldn't we shouldn't see in healthcare. So it's particularly important, I suppose, in the high stakes environment of healthcare that people feel psychologically safe to speak up and advocate for what they think is right, what they think is correct, or even just voice ideas for how we can do things better. So we often, we obviously we're working with the students in UCD and I'm amazed at the ideas they have due to their, the work on the front line. So yeah. many ideas that, you know, I, I always say, have you said this to anyone? Have you spoken up or voiced the suggestion? Because we see so many things we could be doing better in healthcare, but often it's not prioritized or so many other things, you know, taking up space and what we're doing. But often it's little changes in healthcare that come from the front line that can make a big change to how we work and improving how efficiently and effectively we work in healthcare. So that's another important aspect for psychological safety, I suppose, can contribute to how innovative and creative and adaptive we are in healthcare as well. Yeah. Okay. Just picking up on something you said there about staff feeling they don't know who to approach or they haven't verbalized it out loud. Even when we talk about in nursing, we talk about our junior staff or our staff that are new into an area versus staff that have been here for a period of time, probably up to the managers. And there has to be that culture there that, that says you don't have to be a senior member of staff to be able to talk about these things or bring these ideas forward, etc. Leaders and formal leaders play a very important role in establishing that atmosphere and fostering that atmosphere of psychological safety. So what we can do is practice inclusive behaviours. We can ask people their opinion, provide opportunities for them to engage with us, value feedback when we receive feedback rather than just dismiss it. So I think it really has to be genuine opportunities to, for inclusion and for to invite people into the conversation. And sometimes this might take longer, but sometimes this will make sure that we're doing things well, that we're hearing from everyone that's contributing to the, that patient's care yeah. or everyone that will be involved in a care process. So that's a really important part in being inclusive, I think. So that can be a very important role. But I don't think it's just for formal leaders to, to yeah. be inclusive, though. I think we can be inclusive with our peers as well. OK, yeah. So what does a good safety culture look like within an organization, Aoife, if you were trying to define it? It is a challenging one because it's kind of so multifaceted and so many different dimensions to it. But I mean, anyone yourself, anyone who's listening, who's worked in different teams, you know it when you see it. And sometimes it can be hard to articulate what that looks like. But at the core of what we find in research, and what we find from our own work in UCD is having positive relationships and being able to talk to colleagues informally on a team is a really important part of creating that culture of safety and culture of psychological safety. Because if we can approach people on the team, regardless of the hierarchy that might be in place or the power structures that might be in place, we know we can speak up and voice concerns when we have them. It also really helps to have positive teamwork and climate. So really a team-based approach to how we work. So rather than it being too hierarchical, really demonstrating there's opportunities for people to be involved. So I mean, some organizations and some teams have daily huddles where it's an opportunity for each discipline on the team to feed in their concerns, their issues for the day or to feed in about specific patient care episodes. Uh, good safety cultures, I suppose, are learning cultures where, you know, recognizing that human error happens, things go wrong. But we need to learn from those instances. We need to be open and be transparent about what's happened and have a just culture and supporting both patients and staff when something does go wrong in healthcare. And really a positive safety culture, it's not all rosy. I suppose a key thing about psychological safety is it's not just being nice and being inclusive. It's having the difficult conversations and servicing issues that need to be surfaced and being open to a conflict that's constructive, I suppose, around how we do things, how we do tasks or how we, how we best, I suppose, perform as a team to deliver for patients. 
Okay. Just when you talk about the huddles there, I think that we've introduced over the last number of years, really positive. And it was at the start of shifts, it really sets the tone for the rest of the day. But one thing we have to work on constantly is that de-huddling. It's kind of coming together at the end of a shift or the end of a period of time and saying, okay, how are we doing now? Or how is our shift? And trying to both let people know that there is that psychological safety that we can give feedback to each other. It'd be great in terms of just reflecting back as a team, what worked well today? What could we have done better? What do we need to be aware of for either the next shift or for tomorrow? Mm-hmm. So that can be really effective in making sure everyone's on the same page, enhancing that communication. And again, just supporting that psychological safety again. But and so it's one of these things, Kira, that you mentioned, and one of these things that I think that really fosters psychological safety is being a member of a real team. So we have this, um, I suppose, differentiation in research between, you know, quote unquote, a real team or a pseudo team. Okay. And Mike West has done a lot of work on this. And a pseudo team are just a group of people that work together, but a real team are are characterized by three things. They they have shared objectives, interdependence, and they engage in team reflexivity. So they reflect on how they work as a team. And there's a lot of research that teams that actually take a step back and consider are we working well as a team are actually the teams that are more effective in how they deliver their care. So they're open to learning. And that's a really characteristic of safety culture when teams are willing to change and adapt and hear ideas from any level of the team in terms of how can we do this better. Yeah, okay, great. I've heard this term, Aoife, culture beats strategy or it beats policies and procedures. How important is the culture in terms of psychological safety? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have lots of variations of that quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast and everything else. And we know it's crucial. Um, And I think these kind of sayings really emphasize just the powerful impact of culture on how we do things in healthcare and how challenging it is to shift that culture as well. So we talk about culture, we're really talking about, I suppose, the way things are done, the routines, the structure, the power dynamics, or the stories we tell ourselves about the day, how the day-to-day of how we do our work. And culture is really important because if you've got a strong and positive culture, the idea is that people can come in and adapt to that culture. You know, this is how we do things here. So when we do work with teams, we had one person say to us, you know, we want to be engaged in this team intervention because we want to future proof our culture, our team culture. We want to protect what we have and maintain this. So we want people to adapt when they come in through the teams. Um, You know, people changing, obviously there's so much rotation through the system, but how do we protect cultures? It's really hard. So it's about having, upholding, I suppose, key principles and agreeing as a team, how do we want to operate as a team? Having that reflexivity, what's important to us? What are our ways of working? And creating that platform for everyone to engage and take part. So... I think culture is really important because, again, anyone who's worked in different teams, culture can vary massively across organizations. But even within teams in one organization, there can be very different workplace cultures. So what can we do to, I suppose, enhance and promote a positive work environment? Well, it's all about kind of building trust and having that kind of shared sense of purpose. So sitting down as a team and like, actually, what are we all working towards? How are we? How is our performance measured? What are we trying to improve on? What are we trying to do? rather than just try to get through the work of the day. Yeah. Are we actually trying to improve what we're trying to do and reflect back? And what are our priorities as individuals and as team members? And what role can each discipline play towards those kind of shared and collective goals? So that really gives a really strong sense of purpose and a sense of coordination and cohesion to teams, which is also really important in safety culture and also really important for staff, you know, feeling empowered and feeling engaged and wanting to stay in a culture that they enjoy working in. You know, for somewhere like in a critical care unit, talking about your your managers as well and your your educators, your 
MDT, as you said, those role models as well. They're role modeling that constantly day in, day out. So the new members of staff coming in are able to see that and, and understand Absolutely. the culture. And sometimes it's making explicit what we think is explicit, but often it's not. It's just these are the ways inducting people onto teams. These are the way we work. These are we know we have these daily huddles. This is it's everyone's role to contribute. We want people to speak up when they see something wrong. And exactly that role model behavior of, you know, thanking someone for their contribution, taking it on board and working with it rather than dismissing it. So recognizing and valuing the contributions people are making to care and thanking them for their contribution. I mean, I think we could do a lot more of just the basics well in healthcare and thanking you for your contribution. Nice to see you. How are you? Thank you for helping me with this task. And yeah. building those interpersonal relationships goes a long way to helping a team gel and having those more difficult conversations than later on. And I suppose building trust all the way along the way. Right. For any unit or department or place of work that's trying to change a culture and try to promote that psychological safety within the workplace, they don't like the culture or they think it needs to be better or more inclusive. What are the first steps do you think they need to take? Changing culture. It might feel like we're pushing up against a brick wall sometimes, but all we need is some collective action to shift things. So I suppose one of the first things I would suggest is that it's really important to meet regularly as a team. So reflect on how the team works, you know, what are our processes? How can we, you know, are we sure we're implementing the best possible practice to deliver best care for our patients? And this might only be meeting, you know, for an hour or two a month, just as a team to reflect on team operations. But that's an inclusive team meeting that includes everyone. Everyone has a chance to feed in and agree collectively how we'll work, work as a team, how we'll communicate as a team. Like what are the even the communication tools we'll use as a team to talk to each other across disciplines? So one of the things that, you know, it's, it's amazing that still exists, but we, we train health professionals in silos and then they're put into the healthcare system and expected to work together and often don't have that common or shared language and how they communicate for patient care. And there's very little team training that happens in healthcare settings as well. So even meeting as a team could be really important to have that shared understanding of different roles on the team, the different skills and expertise that people can bring in terms of how can we best use the skills and talents that are on this team to you know, enhance what we do and how we do it. And I think that can really help the platform for, create, um, I suppose, fostering that environment of psychological safety because you're building up those personal relationships. You know who to go to for expertise. You know who the experts are in certain areas. For example, you might have someone that's trained to an advanced level in quality improvement. That may be the best person to lead out in something the team wants to do. It may not be the formal leader, but it may be the person with the expertise. So having that kind of collective or shared approach to quality and safety on the team and quality and safety management where everyone, recognizing everyone has a role to play based on their skills and motivations and expertise can be really powerful. But I think also there's a role for each of us in terms of supporting our colleagues and being inclusive and supporting a just culture, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Having a, you're agreeing to implement, you know, the basic tenets of what, what's a good safety culture, you know, reporting incidents when they happen, learning from incidents and when things go wrong, and working closely with risk and quality managers to implement interventions as a team to make sure things don't happen again. So really be keeping an eye on trends and passions and data that we're collecting about how we're performing as a team and working together to identify what's important for us as a team. So obviously there's lots of data being collected by the organization and nationally, but and those things are very important. But are those the most important things for the team or is something else important to this team as well? So what are we actually working towards? What are we trying to improve as a team? And ways, I mean, daily huddles are a great way to improve communication and coordination in a team. And they've been, I suppose they've been under a lot of research and evaluation recently. 
And we know that the majority of studies report significant improvements on quality and safety outcomes when the huddles are implemented. So just these kind of smaller interventions that just bring the team together regularly that can have a really significant impact on how we deliver care and on promoting that safety culture. Okay. The place that I work, we sat down a few years ago and actually talked about our vision for the unit that we work in and what our values were and what our shared values were and what we were trying to achieve. And now you have something tangible to say, well, this is this is our these these are our values, these are our core principles. And even just another small thing with simulation. And I think getting the MDT involved in that as well is a really good way of being able to foster that psychological safe environment for all MTT members to communicate with each other. Values, vision and mission, it sounds so basic and rudimentary, but yeah. it's surprising the, the kind of things that come out in conversations around this. I mean, as part of the work we're doing at UCD, we designed the Collective Leadership for Safety Cultures program, which is the co-lead program. So we've kind of developed lots of resources for teams to do this together. So develop a one hour template for a session for teams to come together and decide on what their values, vision and mission are. A one-hour session for teams to discuss role clarity on the team. So these are all like publicly available resources that teams can take, reflect on together, and use to kind of to guide that team reflexivity time and team time together, and to really work through. You know, in any team situation outside the healthcare environment and business situation, these are all kind of very normal things to do as teams. But they're kind of things that are, are minimized in healthcare, but are actually really important in having that kind of shared sense of purpose and shared. Um, I suppose we call it a mental model. What are we all working towards and how are we doing it? And sometimes it's surprising how disconnected that can be, especially in larger teams where people are moving through the system a lot. So I think those kind of things are really important. And then often things like simulation as well, like opportunities to practice how we work together and how we communicate in using scenarios that you know are very common or could be very common and getting feedback and debriefing on that. And hearing from everyone in terms of what worked well, what what can we do better? How can we learn from this? I mean, there's huge opportunities for learning there. I suppose the key challenge is finding time and protecting time to engage in these kind of things. And, you know, it can be challenging to do that, but we know from the research that teams that invest that time are more efficient and more effective and deliver better patient care. Okay, that's good to hear. Yeah, right. Does it have an impact on staff retention, job satisfaction, productivity, staff well-being? I think you've touched on some of those things already there, Aoife, in your previous answers or anything else you want to add. Anywhere where you feel like you're having, you're playing an important role, you're having a positive impact, staff tend to be happier where they work. Mm. Um, We know there's a relationship between safety culture and employee engagement. So when employees are more engaged, there tends to be a better safety culture. And we know that teamwork and team cohesion really strongly predicts job satisfaction. So there's lots of evidence that for engagement in a positive safety culture and making sure people have a role and are valued in the team. And we know people go into healthcare because they're highly motivated to you know, support patients, deliver excellent care. So that motivation is already there. Yeah. I suppose it's just giving people the opportunity uh, to engage and the opportunity to be included and feeling valued for the important role they play, regardless of their position on the team. That's really important. Um, I mean, we've in UCD, one of our colleagues, um, Roshan O'Donovan, she's led on a review of the literature around safety culture. And what she found is that uh, interventions that, and I suppose things we do to try to enhance safety culture in healthcare teams leads to improvements in nursing turnover, in job satisfaction, and can improve satisfaction in work and enables all staff to have their, their concerns heard. So when we have things like safety huddles or daily huddles, it's really a platform for staff to feel more engaged. So it has a really positive impact both on staff well-being and uh, there's 
just moderate evidence that actually improves um, staff retention as well. So obviously there's lots of things going on there, but it's a positive thing if you feel like you're working in a culture that where your work is valued and when you're having a meaningful impact on patient care. Okay, great. When I was kind of preparing to talk to you, Aoife, I was looking at the National Quality and Patient Safety Directorate. There's a, a website there. And there seems to be a lot of resources available on that with all of those kind of legislations and publications and stuff. And I might just put a link for that in the show notes. But is there anything particularly that you think is a good reference for people if they wanted to look up a little bit more about this topic? What we've done in the co-lead project that I mentioned earlier is we've tried to harness the evidence that's out there and create a set of resources for teams to try to work together as a team to improve how they share responsibilities for quality and safety and leadership. So we can link to that. And that includes things like how to set up safety huddles, how to reflect on how you manage employee well-being, team values, vision, mission, how to hold effective meetings as a team. So these are kind of just basic building blocks for teams that then they can, I suppose, select from these one hour interventions to kind of focus in on what the team feels they need. So it might be things like how we communicate around safety, it might be how we manage risk. So there's various different, I suppose, interventions and, and one hour team sessions that might be more or less appropriate depending on what the team is looking to do. So happy to, for you to link to that. And that's a free resource for anyone to take the materials from there. Great, that'd be brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay, we might just leave it at that just in the interest of time, if that's okay. I'm sure you could talk on a huge amount longer about this topic, uh, but thanks very much Eva, for joining us today. The link for the UCD co-lead resources that Eva referenced is available in the show notes. And thanks to all our listeners, as always. So please download and you can like and subscribe our podcast. And it's available on all your uh, listening platforms. And see you all on the next episode of Critical Conversations. <laughs>